This episode, we're going to be talking about a guy by the name of Jimmy Graham. If you're a fan of the NFL, then you've more than likely heard of him. But if you haven't, he's a tight end that has previously played for the Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, Seattle Seahawks, and the New Orleans Saints, who was the team that drafted him. Regardless, if you've heard of him or not, his story of being dropped off at a group home by his own mother at the age of 11 to becoming a five-time NFL Pro Bowler is just as incredible and inspirational as it sounds. And we're going to get into all of the details right now. Jimmy Graham, born November 24th, 1986 in Goldsboro, North Carolina, had one of the most extreme, challenging childhoods that you can imagine. And I guess the best place to start with this story is with Jimmy's birth parents. You know, let's share as much as we can about them and then get into Jimmy's story and kind of gives you an idea of why he is the way he is. He never knew his biological father and his birth mom was very young and frightened by his father who would often abuse her, would hit her. She was, you know, always pawning Jimmy off on friends and family, pretty much anyone that would take him for a day or two. And she was looking for a way out. So his birth mom signs this custody agreement with Jimmy's now ex-stepfather as the guardian. But the issue was that his birth mom now had to pay $98 in child support a month, which the stepfather wanted, but she didn't She didn't want to pay him. So the stepdad goes and just drops Jimmy off at the doorstep of social services at the age of nine years old. He's only nine, and he's already been dropped off at the, the doorstep of social services. It actually turns out that the stepfather was married to someone else at the time and was cheating on his wife with Jimmy's mom. In an interview uh, with ESPN back in 2011, this is what Jimmy had to, to say about this whole instance in his life. Quote, my stepdad wanted that money and my mom said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. So my stepdad dropped me off at the doorstep of social services. When I was a kid, I used to think about what my worth was. $98, I guess, was what I was worth when I was nine. So his mom then goes to get him. Uh, after after a little while, takes him back up until he's uh, 11 years old now. And then one day she tells him that they're just going to go for a car ride. You know, he thinks it's a casual morning drive and it turns into a life changing experience for Jimmy. He falls asleep in the backseat of this car. Right. And he wakes up to his mom telling him to get out of the car, signing papers to give him away to a group home for orphans and, and troubled youth. The whole time, his older sister is just freaking out, screaming in the back seat of the mom's car. The mom walks into the group home, drops two bags off with his clothes and belongings, just two garbage bags, and disappears out the front door. And life at this group home wasn't easy, as you can imagine. For instance, Jimmy recalls one time when they went on a field trip, the adults left the bus 
um, with the boys in the in the in the bus alone. And all of a sudden, all the other boys just turn on him and start punching him, start wailing on him. And then the biggest boy of the group starts to rear up to take his shot. Right. All the other kids are holding him down, letting this older kid finally get his his punch in. And as the kid is loading his fist up to, to punch Jimmy, Jimmy's able to sneak in, you know, this quick preemptive hit and it just sets off domino effect. All the other kids just start freaking out. They pin him down underneath the seat of the bus. And the last thing that Jimmy can recall from this incident was the, the biggest kid pins him down with his knee against Jimmy's temple. And he hears this crack before the adults rush back on the bus and break up the fight. So he's stuck in bed for four days after that. He calls his mom and fortunately she picks up and unfortunately he tells her what happens and she just goes, sorry, I can't, I can't do anything for you and hangs up. That's the kind of family that Jimmy Graham grew up with. That's the kind of environment that he grew up with. Now, Let's fast forward a few years, right? His his mom ends up, for some reason, taking him back in, in to live with her for a bit. And now he's a freshman and he goes to uh, Eastern Wayne High School in North Carolina. To give you an idea of his home situation, he is still sleeping on an army, army cot. Doesn't have a bed, just an army cot. His belongings are in a shoebox and his grades in school are are terrible he's got all f's and one day a classmate of his tells him to pull up to this home church meeting jimmy hears that there's going to be free food there and so you know not obviously the best the most well-fed at home always looking for a, new, a, a meal free food he ends up saying screw it i'll go and this is where he runs into a woman that would end up changing his life. Her name is Becky Vinson. And I want to share this quote from Becky about the first time she met Jimmy because it's 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 pretty impactful. Quote, he was petrified, said Vinson, who quickly offered to take him in. I was it was it was one of the moments, it was one of those moments. It was one of those moments that just snaps you up. You hear that, close your eyes, pray, and then go home and think you never heard this and don't do something. You could see potential in Jimmy. It was there. He just needed somebody to tell him he could do it, that he was capable. And this is her referring to the first time that Jimmy spoke up at the home church meeting. Uh, he was all the kids were talking about things that um, they were grateful for, that they that they didn't want, that they were apologizing for. And Jimmy finally gets a chance to speak. And he says, I just don't want my mom to put me back in a group home. And Becky just loses it. She can't imagine not helping this kid. So quick backstory on Becky, because it's important to understand this story. When uh, she was 25, when they first met, right, she had a five-year-old daughter uh, who, and she was in nursing school. Now, if you hear this, right, and you might think, oh, athlete meets uh, family or ex-individual and everything's prosperous, kind of like the blind side with Michael Orr. But Jimmy was brought into a completely different situation. Becky's first year with Jimmy, she made about three grand that year, $3,000 for the whole year. She's still in college, remember. They constantly had to decide whether they wanted electricity 
or water because they couldn't actually afford to pay both of the bills. So they would sit down at the beginning or end of every month and try to figure out which one they needed more. Eventually, Becky graduates from nursing school, and this is later in the story. She's um, Jimmy's been living with them for a while, and he actually gets adopted, and we'll get to that in a second. But she gets a job that pays about 50 grand in salary, uh, but life life for them still wasn't easy. It wasn't anywhere near what you know Michael Orr had with the blind side. Okay, so back to Jimmy, right? Uh, he ends up loving the church food and the social interaction. So he comes back week after week. Eventually, Becky decides to give him a ride home because she hears it's, you know, 10 minute, 10 minute drive. And, you know, it's a pretty long walk. So they start uh, talking on the rides and Jimmy starts opening up about his past and his failing grades. And looking back, this is what Jimmy had to say about that whole interaction. Quote, that was very hard for me because I never opened up to anyone when I was a little kid. I didn't care about anyone. I was very protective. I had a lot of people who ran over me, used me. By that age, I was smart enough to not let it happen again. And Becky was asking some questions that were very penetrating questions about how I was feeling. So eventually, he starts having dinners at Becky's house and starts to stay later and later. And I mean, can you can you really blame the kid? He didn't like look at his home situation. Who would want to go home to that? Mom didn't even want him there. Becky recalls that Jimmy would also show up to her house a few times, or actually quite often in the winters, wearing shorts and socks, like knee socks. And he only had three sets of clothes and one pair of pants. She started to notice that he would wear the same stuff to her house over and over and over and over. So eventually, Becky sits down with Jimmy's mom, who is now in the National Guard uh, and came home for a few weeks. So there must have been a point where Jimmy was home alone, you know, in this terrible living situation. Mom is just in and out constantly. And at this point in her life, Becky is still a senior in college living in a trailer. And Jimmy's mom, she goes to Jimmy's mom to ask if she can adopt Jimmy. And his mom doesn't even put up any sort of a fight. She's just like, you know what? Take him, whatever. So at last, he's finally moved in or living with a family that truly values and motivates him. And I mean, it's not it's not it's not much of an improvement, but I guess he'll take what he can get. He finally has that sort of care and affection from a, an older individual that can motivate him. And through his relationship with Becky, he starts to meet more people, people that actually value him as well and want him to succeed. And he meets this pastor named Carlos Peralta. And Carlos starts this community Christian school and ends up convincing Jimmy to transfer there his sophomore year of high school. So at the time, Jimmy was a third string center on the JV basketball team. So he's just absolutely god awful at basketball. You know, it's... <laughs> It's one thing to be on JV. It's another thing to be the third string center. And so he had a lot of improving to do. And so the important thing to remember about this, though, is that community Christian that Carlos started didn't have a football team. So Jimmy's only athletic focus for so through sophomore year to senior year was just basketball. And Carlos takes him under his wing 
and starts teaching him the fundamentals of basketball, you know, like everything in and out, pivoting, setting screens, simple post moves, which ends up turning Jimmy into one of the best basketball players in the state. He starts to get buzz around his name because his improvement is so drastic, but also because he's got this ridiculous backstory. You know, even at this point in his life, it's so impressive what he's been able to accomplish. Eventually, word gets out so much so about this this kid who's just an athletic talent, just a beast. The Miami Hurricanes head coach, Frank Haith, reaches out and offers Jimmy a scholarship. And Becky had this to say about, about Coach Haith uh, and the Hurricanes back then, and I think it's important to note, quote, We drove to Miami on unofficial visits. The only thing I wanted for Jimmy, being a white woman, I wanted him to have a black role model, a strong role model. Jimmy developed a relationship with Coach Haith, and we trust him. So before we get into his college career and how he, he finally gets into football, it's important to note that his freshman year, all he had for bedding was a sheet. He slept on the plastic cover of the bed and used the sheet as his blanket. It wasn't until a girl from the women's basketball team made him a blanket that he had reasonably comfortable bedding. So even even freshman year, he's been with Becky for a few years. You know, she's still struggling financially. He's still sleeping on bare minimum. And when he goes to Miami, Becky also relocates to Mount Sinai Hospital. At this point, she's she's uh, got a full-time job. Um, and her daughter's now 11 years old. Uh, they move to be closer to Jimmy. Just This woman's just bending over backwards for this kid that she just met a few years ago and ends up adopting adopting and you know it's just it's people like this that the world needs more of so four years later jimmy graduates in may of 2009 from miami with a double major in marketing and management with honors so becky's emphasis on education has really paid off and jimmy's just excelling in the classroom so his uh is on on the, on the flip side his basketball career is actually pretty funny because he's just this absolutely giant human being that's stuck playing the wrong sport right because remember community christian didn't have football so he could only focus on basketball to give you an idea of what i mean by just this the guy giant individual playing the wrong sport in jimmy's 4 years of playing hurricane basketball he racks up 353 made field goals, right? So 350 over 350 made baskets and 515 personal fouls. He had almost 200 almost 200 more personal fouls than he did made shots. He hacked way more than he scored and that's, you know, an early sign that you're just meant to put some pads on and go hit some people, which is eventually what he ends up doing, thankfully. So after graduating in 2009, Jimmy turned down several six-figure salaries to play basketball in Europe to stay at Miami and go to grad school. Again, I assume this is Becky's emphasis on education and, and his determination to get a degree and, and a good job for himself kicking in. Um, so he's going to grad school. He then decides to try football for the first time since his freshman year of high school, right? So when he transferred, he played a year freshman year and now 
I don't know, what would that be? Seven years later, trying football for the first time. And his adjustment is pretty hysterical. So here's a, here's a few quotes and anecdotes from Jimmy's coaches and trainers at the time. Quote, early on, the football coaches had to repeatedly tell him not to tackle people in practice. First of all, this was just practice. Second, he was playing offense. So it wasn't really the point of what he was supposed to do. And here's another great quote from the head strength and conditioning coach, Andrew Swayze, about Jimmy's first time getting a pass thrown his way during the first game of the season against Florida State. Quote, he blocked out the guy defending him, Swayze said laughing. He looks back for the ball and goes for the box out instead of jumping for the ball. The pass sails right over his head. It was hysterical. We were all laughing. So that season, Jimmy ends uh, the season catching 17 passes for 213 yards and five touchdowns. Not, you know, overly impressive, but with those five touchdowns and his incredible size and athleticism, he starts to get a, an interest from a few NFL teams, right? This is a dude that's only played football now for two years. And one of those years was freshman year of high school. Five touchdown catches in a season as a first-time football player and his athleticism and size, the New Orleans Saints eventually come knocking. And they in, actually went as far as invited Jimmy to be a guest at their Super Bowl, Super Bowl 44, where he shows up just fully decked out in Saints colors. And supposedly, supposedly, he loses his voice from cheering so loud the whole game, which the Saints ended up going on to win 31-17 to against the Indianapolis Colts. So the year before the Saints draft him, which, I've, you know, spoiler alert, the Saints win the Super Bowl. So that that's that that's important to note because that'll come into play a little bit later. Um, and I quickly want to touch on his NFL combine numbers because they're pretty crazy. Actually, they're very crazy. And then we'll get into his NFL career. So keep in mind, he's 6'7", 260 pounds. This is just a, a giant. He ran a 4.5640, had a 38 and a half inch vert, and bench pressed 225 15 times. Just to give you an idea of the size and athleticism of this dude. Okay, so he's drafted with the 94 95th overall pick, uh, in the, which is the third round of the 2010 NFL draft. He's drafted by the New Orleans Saints. Signs a four-year, $2.45 million contract. So the reason 95th is pretty late. The reason he went so late is because he's this mystery player, right? He's only really played one season of football since his freshman year of high school. So you can't really blame all these NFL teams for waiting so long to pick this dude. But let's take a minute and just recognize and appreciate what he's been able to accomplish just at this point, right? He hasn't even done anything in the NFL. He went from being dropped off at the doorstep of social services to signing a multi-million dollar NFL contract. It's just, it's incredible. And the story is his NFL career is just getting started. So his rookie season, he plays in only five games because he's stuck playing behind Jeremy Shockey, who if you don't know Jeremy Shockey, go look him up. He's also an incredible tight end. He had a great career himself. But in week nine against Carolina in his home state, it's funny how these things always work like this. He catches a 19-yard pass from Drew Brees to score his first NFL touchdown. 
and the Saints end up going on to win that game in a blowout. His rookie season ends with him racking up 31 catches for just over 350 yards and five TDs. His second year in the league is where he really starts to take off. Just ridiculous numbers. Ends the season with 99 catches, 1,310 yards, 11 TDs, and he makes his first Pro Bowl. Again, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it a few more times. A kid that was going to church gatherings just so he could get a bite to eat. A kid that played football for just three years now. A kid that was dropped off at the doorstep of social services, just became a pro bowler, and is now an obvious household name in the NFL, especially with the Saints fans. He goes on to then get ranked 14th overall by his peers in the NFL Top 100 Annual Player Poll. Third year in the NFL, this is 2012 now, he finishes with 85 receptions, 982 yards, and nine touchdowns. Not as good as the year before, but, you know, it's still, he's one of the top tight ends in the league. 2013, I'm going to start going through these a little bit quicker, but um, 2013 is his last year of his rookie contract, right? So keep that in mind. Something funny that actually happens during this season that I think is is important to note just because of the type of dude that Jimmy was his signature touchdown celebration, right? His trademark celebration was dunking the football over the goalpost after scoring, which was a reference he's later went on to say is a, is a reference to his basketball background. But in a game against the Falcons, he scores, goes up and <laughs> bends the goalpost. If, if you, if you want to see the video of it, it's on YouTube, you can go, you can go look it up. So what does the league do after he, it's just this massive human goes up and dunks and bends a goalpost. They ban the celebration. They ban goalpost dunks, saying that they're unsportsmanlike. And Jimmy says, screw that. In the, in the preseason the next year, he's the first player. He does it again. And he's the first player to get fined for the celebration. He gets fined $30,000 for it. That year, he had just over 1,200 receiving yards, 16 D touchdowns, and was ranked 10th overall in the NFL Top 100. So a little little bump in positioning there. He's the 10th overall in the NFL Top 100 players. That's just ridiculous. Now, 2014, his, his contract is up, right? His rookie contract is up four years. Negotiations come up, and this is a quote from an article on NFL.com about what happened that year because it, it explains it pretty, pretty easily. Um, quote, the Saints put a non-exclusive franchise tag on Graham, meaning that he would be allowed to negotiate and sign an offer sheet with another team. The Saints would then have the right to match that offer sheet and retain Graham, and if they did not, the other team would owe the Saints two first-round draft picks. No such competing offer sheet was signed, but negotiations between Graham and the Saints were complicated by disagreement as to whether Graham would be treated for bargaining purposes as a tight end, which is his official position, or as a wide receiver, where he often lines up during games. Since the difference in applicable compensation under the franchise tag is more than $5 million per year, right? He, he wants to be a wide receiver because he can get paid more, essentially. On July 2nd, 2014, an arbitrator ruled that Graham was indeed a tight end for franchise tag purposes. So Jimmy ends up appealing to preserve his spot 
on the team while negotiations continued. And on July 15th, the day before the new multi-year deals under league rules expires, the Saints and Jimmy agree to a four-year, $40 million contract, which makes him the highest paid tight end in the NFL. Again, a kid that was dropped off. You get the point. It's just ridiculous. He ends that season with 85 receptions for just under 900 yards and 10 touchdowns. 2015 is where things, unfortunately, start to go downhill. And I'm going to start rolling through these years pretty quickly just to give you guys an idea of the stats, his stats as, as the decline starts to happen. But he's traded to the Seahawks, ends his first season there with just under 50 catches, 600 yards, two TDs. 2016, 65 catches, 923 yards, six TDs. 2017, 500 yards, 10 touchdowns, and he gets named to his fifth Pro Bowl. Fifth Pro Bowl, 2018. He gets traded to the Green Bay Packers, signs a three-year, $30 million contract, finishes the year with 600 yards, two TDs, 2019, second year with the Packers, uh, 450 yards, three TDs. Then he's released by the Packers in March of 2020, and then he signs a two-year, $16 million contract with the Chicago Bears. First year with the Bears, he hauls in 50 catches, just under 500 yards, and eight touchdowns. One thing to note is that the Bears made the playoffs that year, his first year, and they ended up playing the Saints in the first round of the playoffs, the team that drafted Jimmy uh, and helped him with his rise to fame, you know, him and Drew Brees. And they ended up losing that game to the Saints 21-9. to Jimmy hauls in. This just incredible one-handed catch, touchdown catch, as time expires. And obviously, it's not enough to win the game. And he catches it, scores a touchdown, runs right to the locker room. 2021, he only starts in six games and has 14 catches, 167 yards, and three TDs. Now, as of this recording, he is still a free agent. So who knows what the future holds for Jimmy Graham, but it seems to me like he was never really targeted the same as he was with Drew Brees and, the, and on the Saints. And his performance has just steadily declined each year as a result, which is such a shame because it's pretty obvious what the dude is capable of, you know? Now, I want to cap things off on a high note because Jimmy Graham's story of what he's been able to accomplish in his life is incredibly inspiring. And it's only best to applaud him for what he's been able to accomplish thus far in his life. In 2020 and 2021, outside of football, he was nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award because of his work with the Jimmy Graham Foundation. Uh, that foundation helps at-risk youth and military veterans. Fun fact, actually, about him, in 2011, he gets his pilot's license. He, he's, a, he's a pilot. And in 2018, he becomes co-chairman of the Experimental Aircraft Association Young Eagles program, which helps kids ages 8 to 17 get into aviation. He's, he's you know, all through his career and his life up till now, he's genuinely trying to give back and help kids 
in tough situations because he was in those similar situations. You know, he's relates to those kids. He's one of those kids at one point. So I want to make it clear that if there's any kids out there that are listening to this, I hope stories like these show you that it's possible. It is possible. You may not become a record breaking tight end for the New Orleans Saints per se, but you can have a successful life and career much like Jimmy's. You might try something at first and not be great at it. Like, look at Jimmy with basketball. He averaged four points, four rebounds a game in Miami. That's not good. But if you keep pushing and you keep trying new things, one day you're bound to find that one thing that just clicks, you know? And that's exactly what Jimmy did. You know, he kept trying, didn't accept those offers to go play basketball overseas and wanted to pursue his degree, found football, and that's where he just started to excel. And as soon as you find that thing that just clicks, you better hang on because your life and things around you could change very, very quickly. And I just want to end this episode with a few quotes from some people that were in Jimmy's life, in his life, or got the the chance to interview him at one point, just to highlight what he was like as a person. The first is from uh, his head coach at Miami, Frank Haith, quote, The level of appreciation this kid had for what he's got was amazing. This is a kid who easily could have been angry and taken it out on everyone around him. He never did. Instead, he just worked and worked and worked. The last quote I want to end with is from an article written by Kevin Van Valkenburg, who's an ESPN senior writer who did a piece on Jimmy back in 2014 and I just, I think it's so well written and it's just, it's, it's the perfect way to end this episode. So he writes, quote, flying is one of the rare activities that takes Graham's mind completely off football, if only for a while. There's no cell phones, no emails and no egos. He says, it's just me and the plane. He goes on to write, Vincent is still a big part of his life, but she lives in Arizona. He doesn't go out on the town much with teammates and rarely drinks alcohol. If he has any romantic attachments, he keeps them entirely private. When he's in New Orleans, it's football and flying. Some days, he'll pick a tiny airport he's never seen, fly there, and land the plane. He'll rent a car and drive wherever the road takes him. New Orleans has these older orange light bulbs, which are really gorgeous, Graham says. But the main thing that stands out is actually the Superdome. Some nights, the lights splashed across the dome is a pale blue. Other nights, it's a deep purple or shades of ruby red. It's always a mystery. He almost wishes he didn't have to come down. Mm